welcome to Green and Gold Forever. I'm Eric Drews, broadcasting from Oshkosh, Wisconsin, and we'll be joined shortly here by Matt McLean out in lacrosse. And uh, we'll bring Matt in right now, actually. I picked that song specifically for you because I know you love uh, John Fogarty. <laughs> no, I'm not one of his biggest fans, I guess. <laughs> well, and I also picked it for another reason. I guess uh, we got a lot to talk about today. Obviously, uh, week two of the preseason for the Packers is now in the past, and uh, thank goodness for a lot of reasons. Uh, and also, we have another what-if for you, which will be, what if the Green Bay Packers lost the 1966 NFL championship game? But of course, going back to why I picked that song, um, maybe there is a bad moon rising for the Green Bay Packers, depending on who you talk to. Another rough preseason outing for the Packers. Matt, what was, uh, I guess, your quick reaction to the game on Thursday? Well, I'm, I'm sure mine's no different than anybody else who watched the game. It's um, It was just... In, in the words of one of our uh, Facebook commenters, Brian Dinsey, he said that it was atrocious, and that pretty much sums it up. We talked about last week how we don't take stock in the preseason, and I never have. I, I don't care if the Packers win, but they just looked so bad over the first two weeks that it, you know it's almost starting to become a little bit concerning. The starting offense was still pretty good. Uh, you know, four turnovers though throughout. One, you know, once Rodgers got out of the game, and there was even a, a turnover early. So, mm-hmm. and again, I don't know how much stock you want to put into it, but it was it was pretty hard to watch. Yeah, I agree, and that's kind of the thing that I was thinking this past week. Is I know we are taught by the media and whatnot not to put much stock into the preseason, but I just couldn't think of one unit on the team outside of maybe Tim Mastay that has really been even adequate in this preseason. It seems like the first team offense can't move the ball very consistently. The first team defense is getting the ball ran right down their throat. Well, at least in Cleveland and San Diego, they were throwing it over top of them with ease. Uh, They can't seem to return a kick other than that one they had towards the end of the half in Cleveland. Mason Crosby's one for two on field goals. It, It just seems like it seems like they're not ready for the season is the best way that I could describe it. It's, it's almost as if you'd expect to see this on family night, not, you know, three and a half weeks in a training camp. I'd agree. They just they haven't shown up. And, and you know this team can play better than they have. As much as we say that this defense is, you know, not very good, and obviously they weren't good last year, you're still going to expect them to play better than that against the Browns. I mean, there's no way they give up that kind of a performance to Brandon Whedon and some of those other guys, Montario Hardesty and... And even Brandon Jackson was running over him there in the the second quarter and third quarter. So he looked like a real running back for a second. <laughs> he actually did, and I think when he scored, the, the Packers fans gave him a little round of applause. You know, kind of where was that when you were here? Kind of a thing. Yeah. So it's probably a lack of you know showing up, and I think McCarthy's going to address that. I, I'm hoping at least we see more this week, but uh, pretty pretty ugly so far. Yeah, and I know you mentioned the first-team offense, and that's kind of a number I wanted to go uh, look into myself because it seemed like they'd played pretty well in the preseason, especially uh, since Aaron Rodgers has gotten here. I just want to take a real quick look at what they did last year, and the first team offense in 2011 in the preseason had 11 drives, four of those resulted in touchdowns, one in a field goal, another in a missed field goal, and then the others were punts. Keith stat, no turnovers. So five scores in 11 drives, should have been six scores in 11 drives, no turnovers. In 2012 so far, they've had six drives. They had one score on a very short field, a 23-yard drive for a touchdown. They have four turnovers, two lost fumbles, an interception, and a turnover on downs. 
so that's something that really uh, gets me somewhat concerned. And Aaron Rodgers, uh, I know obviously we expect him to bounce back, but Graham Harrell's got a 55 quarterback rating in the preseason so far. Aaron Rodgers is his 49. So it's I, I don't really know how to describe that. He's completing less than 50% of his passes right now. And I don't know. I I don't think we need to kid ourselves here. He's at a 49 quarterback rating right now, but that's not going to carry over. Oh, no. There's no way that this offense, honestly, I don't see there's any way where this offense isn't even as good as last year. Um, the offensive line might not be quite as good. Maybe it slows them down a little bit, but we know that this offense is going to go, and I think that's one of the big differences between what we're seeing now and what we're going to see in the regular season is Rodgers is going to have you know back-to-back drives, more than two or three where he's out there at a time. Mm-hmm. He'll get something going. The offense is going to be just fine, and that makes a huge difference in the game overall, obviously, as opposed to him only playing a couple series and then putting Graham Harrell in the game. So I think that has a lot to do with how bad they're looking. But, you know, like you said, he hasn't looked this bad in preseasons past, and overall we haven't looked this bad. So that's kind of hard to explain. But I guess in terms of the offense, I'm not too worried about Rodgers and his 49 quarterback rating right now. Oh, yeah. No, I'm not not meaning to insinuate that I think he's going to turn into 2005 Brett Favre or something. I just think that... For Graham Harrell kind of getting the statewide recognition for what's wrong in the preseason right now, and Aaron Rodgers has actually played worse. I just meant to do that to kind of gauge how out of sync this first-team offense seems. And granted, they have had uh, no Greg Jennings. They've had no Jermichael Finley. Starks didn't play last time. Cedric Benson hasn't even had an opportunity to, to play in a game with his new teammates. But it's just I haven't seen them look this out of sync in the Rodgers era in the preseason. They always seem to start fast. They always seem that first preseason game that they're ready to go and they look in midseason form right away. And granted, a lot of teams that are very good, I mean, the Indianapolis Colts for years, even with Peyton Manning, just looked awful in the in the preseason and then would be fine every single year. So, I mean, it might not mean anything, but it's just a very stark contrast to what we're used to seeing from this team in the preseason. And I guess one quick, or a couple stats about this preseason, uh, especially the Cleveland loss, 35-10. to This is the worst preseason loss for the Packers since uh, 2008 when they lost to the San Francisco 49ers, 38-6, to uh, in Rodgers' first road preseason start when uh, they kind of were thinking that he was pressing a little bit to try to prove a point to the 49ers for not drafting him. And this is also the first 0-2 preseason start for the Packers since 2008, and actually only the second 0-2 preseason start uh, since Mike McCarthy's been head coach. So some interesting things there. I guess we do have a comment on one of our YouTube videos from uh, Predator Flint saying, should the Packers be worried about their backup quarterback situation after the Graham Harrell performance? And since that seems to be a pretty popular topic right now in the newspapers and on the local television stations, we probably could address that. Uh, Matt, what are your thoughts on their backup quarterback situation and uh, if it needs to be addressed before the season starts? I hate to be one to overreact, but I I think that it's something that we definitely need to look into. Uh, I had posted something about that during the game on Facebook the other day, how maybe it's time to start looking. You know, they've always seemed to like Graham Harrell over the years since they got him. It's just he's looked so bad. And, you know, bringing in maybe somebody like a veteran, you're not going to get anybody right now who's going to come in and be able to replace Rodgers if he were to go down. Mm-hmm. But, you know, to get somebody like a Colt McCoy even, you know, or a veteran that could maybe even still pull off a few games if Rodgers goes down, if Harrell comes in playing like he is right now against the second-team defense but playing against some of the league's best, (laughs) there's going to be a lot of turnovers, and it's going to be even more ugly than it's been so far. And obviously, B.J. Coleman may be down the road, but he's not ready yet to be that number two quarterback. But I 
I definitely would like if they started looking around a little bit. Yeah, I don't want to be too alarmist either, but I tend to agree. Uh, It's early, but he's never really had to play against even the second team. Most of his uh, experience in preseason games has been mop-up duty after Flynn has left, and he just, he seems to, I, I don't really know how to describe it. I guess I'll use an example where Matt Flynn, when he started, he wasn't always very good, especially in 2008 and 2009, but he always looked poised. <laughs> like, he always seemed like he was confident that he would figure it out. And yeah. especially once he got to play in regular season games, I mean, he looked like a 10-year veteran. Graham Harrell just kind of looks like he's still a rookie out there, and he's, what, 26, 27 years old? I know he hasn't had a lot of game experience, but Matt Flynn had never had any game experience. He started two games in his career and played pretty fantastic in both of them. Uh, Not that you're going to get that out of everybody, but you can't have a guy that's going to be Curtis Painter or, or Dan Orlovsky where you go from being a Super Bowl contender to a contender for the first pick in the draft because of one player. And... That's kind of the vibe I get from the Graham Harrell uh, quarterback scenario. Yeah, absolutely. If 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 Graham Harrell comes in, he maybe he won't be this bad. If he were to get into a regular season game, I guess we have no basis for thinking he'd be any better. But um, this team would be maybe you know three four wins. I would think if he keeps playing like this, if that. I, I mean, you've got to have somebody who can at least even manage the game. I mean, Flynn, other than the last game of last season, obviously. Uh, always kind of seemed like more of a game, the game manager type, safe, wouldn't make a lot of mistakes. And then he comes out and throws six touchdowns, obviously, in week <laughs> 17. But Harold's just not that. He doesn't seem like it. My friend was texting me during the game, and at one point he had, I think, 13 plays on the field for nine yards. And then after I got that text, then he started throwing like passes for negative yardage <laughs> and throwing interceptions, so it was just getting worse and worse. Um, so, yeah, I agree. I, so do you think they should probably look at bringing somebody in, or what's your solution to this? Well, part of me thinks they should, I, I guess, but I don't think they should give up anything. I don't think you trade for Colt McCoy. They're going to want too much. Uh, you're taking out an insurance policy, really, and like we've discussed on many occasions, let's say you get Colt McCoy and Rodgers goes down, you're you're still not the same team anyways. You're still probably going to be fighting for a, an 8-8 eight and eight record. So I would say I would look for somebody on the free agent list. I remember I texted you uh, this weekend where I wished that the NFL had some kind of list available to the public that looked like the Madden roster so you could see if it's available on the free agent list. But I I would sign a free agent veteran. I I can't say I know exactly who's out there. Um, There's some guy from Hattiesburg, Mississippi, that played here for a while. (laughs) Somebody's going to get cut sooner or later, you (laughs) would think, from one of these teams. Yeah, so I would go after a free agent, but I wouldn't be trading for Colt McCoy or somebody else because, uh, like I said, you lose Rodgers, you're not going to be doing much anyway. So you just want a chance to compete every week and not have a completely wasted season. But uh, I don't think they're going very far without him, so I certainly wouldn't go out of my way to give anything up. Okay, I can see that. I mean, personally, I wouldn't disagree with giving up a fifth-round pick if that's all you have to give up to get somebody like McCoy. But, I mean, you look at teams like Miami, they have four quarterbacks. You know, other teams around the league in the same situation. You know, somebody like Matt Moore might be getting released, to, you know, who's a proven starter, mm-hmm. uh, something like that. Some of these guys will start becoming available here over the next couple of weeks. So you hate to bring them into the system with that short notice and try to teach them the playbook and have them, you know, ready for the first and second week if something were to happen. Mm-hmm. But it might be their best option at this point. Yeah, that's uh, that's definitely some uh, good points as well. Um, I guess let's try to look to the positive of this uh, 25-point loss to the dreaded <laughs> Cleveland Browns. But was there anything that caught your eye as uh, a positive to come out of the game? 
I guess I, that that short field touchdown uh, from Rodgers to Jordy was just insane. That was a great, a great catch by Jordy, mm-hmm. and it kind of reminded me a, a lot last year when they were going at full stride there with the offense. The defense was bad, but one thing that I I noticed that I, I kind of liked was well, obviously Jerron McMillan came in there and had a few plays in a row where he looked really good. Mm-hmm. Obviously, he's probably not gonna you know get a starting role yet. I I wouldn't trust him back there on the field full time, but. Just some nice flashes from a good young player. And I actually thought the secondary tackled well. Um, and I know that's been one of the big things they've lacked, especially last year in the Giants game and throughout the regular season. But mm-hmm. even guys like Jared Bush were coming up and filling and tackling. McMillan, like I said, made some nice tackles. So they didn't cover very well. But <laughs> one thing that they definitely have been lacking the last couple of years, and I thought that that looked improved at least a little bit in this game. I, there wasn't a lot of positives, but I guess that's one thing I took away. Yeah, that, that's a good point. I guess now that you mentioned that, I, I did notice that as well. Um, Jordy Nelson just looks ridiculous right now. Um, obviously did it last year as well, but uh, good to see him looking like last year was going to be the new rule and, as opposed to kind of a fluke. Uh, and also, uh, Charles Woodson played, what, three plays and <laughs> forced mm-hmm. a turnover, so uh, it's good to see him back out there and, and doing his thing. Um, I guess other than that... Um, the, the new theme song for the preseason football and the state coverage in Green Bay is pretty cool. Yeah, that was pretty nice. <laughs> what station was that on? Uh, well, here it was on NBC26, uh, which I think them and uh, WTMJ, uh, NBC, and Milwaukee are the ones who actually produce it. And then, um, I, I forget, it's out in uh, ABC or something out by you, isn't it? Yeah, I think that sounds right. Yeah, so uh, kudos to whoever put together that song or found it on some royalty-free list. <laughs> that was pretty cool. Kept me watching the whole game just to hear that song a couple extra times. Now let's talk about another uh, segment I put together here. I was thinking about this as, this as the game was winding down, and Rich Gannon had made some good comments where the preseason doesn't necessarily matter, but you, you need to show more than the Packers have been showing. And it got me wondering, does the preseason matter? You've heard it for years that it doesn't matter and you shouldn't look at it and you always get the person right away saying, oh, well, the preseason doesn't matter because in 2008 the Lions won four games and then they lost everyone in the regular season, so therefore the preseason doesn't matter. But either way, I, I did go look into the stats here. And I went back just for the Green Bay Packers since 1978. And the reason I chose that is that was the first year of the 16-game regular season for preseason game format. Uh, that's 34 seasons, so it's a pretty big sample size. I'll just go over these numbers real quick, and then I'll ask for your reaction. They've gone undefeated only twice in the preseason. Once was in 1997. They went 5-0, and uh, including the American Bowl. Of course, they went 13-3 and and went all the way to Super Bowl 32 before losing to the Denver Broncos. Uh, their other time they went undefeated was in 1999 when they were 4-0 under Ray Rhodes. Of course, then went only 8-8 and in the regular season and missed out on the playoffs. So a little bit inconsistent with numbers there for undefeated, but very small sample size. Now we're getting into some of the bigger sample sizes. When the Packers win three preseason games, it's happened nine times since 1978. Six of those nine teams have gone on to the playoffs. Uh, in the playoffs, four of those teams reached the divisional round, two reached the NFC Championship game, and the 1996 team won the Super Bowl. Seven of the nine teams had winning records. This is the six playoff teams and the 1989 10-6 team that lost the division on a tiebreaker. Only one of the nine had a losing record, and that was the... 1979 Packers that went 3-1 and one and then 5-11 and 11 in the regular season. But 8 of the 9, that's 88%, had a 500 or better record. 
when the Packers win just two preseason games, it's happened ten times since 1978, six of those ten made the playoffs, five of those teams reached the divisional round, two reached the NFC Championship game, and the 2010 team won the Super Bowl. Seven of the ten had winning records. Only three of the ten had a 500 record or worse, and uh, two of the teams that didn't make the playoffs were uh, one game out, uh, that being 1984 and 2000. When the Packers only win one preseason game, it's happened 11 times since 1978, only two of the 11 made the playoffs, only one reached the divisional round, and the one that did was the 1993 Packers, who had that thrilling victory at Detroit, but the two teams that made the playoffs were the 9-7 1993 team and the 10-6 2004 team, so two of the weaker playoff teams in Packers history. Um, only four of the 11 had winning records. Uh, seven of the 11 were 500 or worse. And one that was above 500 was only 8, 7, and 1 in 1978. And the Packers have only had a winless preseason twice since 1978. 1980, they went 0, 4, and 1 in the preseason, finished 5, 10, and 1. And in 1987, they were 0, and 4, and finished 5, 9, and 1 in the regular season. And here's some key numbers to uh, keep in mind. When the Packers win three preseason games, they average 10.45 regular season wins. When they win two games, they average 9.04 regular season wins. And when they win once, they average 7.3 regular season wins. So some interesting facts. Perhaps um, doesn't mean anything for this particular team, but... Certainly looks like the pretty strong trend is the more you win in the preseason, the more you win in the regular season. Yeah, that's very interesting. And, you know, you you almost don't expect that to be so equally correlated between each one mm-hmm. and how, you know, how good the team has been. I'm, I'm sure you'd probably find pretty similar trends for you know, most of the other teams around the league, too, in their histories. Uh, stats like this, I don't know, it's kind of hard because the team from 1978 obviously is much different mm-hmm. than the team from today, so... You know, you don't know how this team's going to react differently to, you know, some of the, the poor teams that have been the preseason before. Mm-hmm. But, but yeah, you expect a team who's good to at least win a couple of preseason <laughs> games. You don't expect a team like this team, which people, you know, before the season were expecting to go, you know, maybe 12 and 4, 13 and 3, something like that, to go winless in the preseason and just get destroyed by the Browns and. <laughs> <laughs> well, so. <laughs> The Browns were pretty close to the Super Bowl last year because Indianapolis is only about 200 miles away, so it's about yeah. as close as Cleveland will ever get to the Super Bowl, I would think. Yeah, so I mean, it kind of surprised me, like I said, how evenly correlated those numbers are, but I guess it's not surprising. I mean, maybe this team can still win a couple games. I, I don't think if they go 0-4 even this preseason, they're probably going to go 5-11 and or oh, no, yeah. anything like that, but you know, maybe it is more of a precursor than we might have initially thought. Yeah, it just seems like a little bit of a troubling trend, especially considering that all of your power teams have at least two or three wins. Some of your three-win Packer teams are 94, 95, 96, 12 and 4 in 2002, 09, 2011. Those all won three preseason games, and even your two preseason games are 98, 2001, 2003, 2007, and 2010. So I mean, all of your best Packer teams from this era we're talking about have won two or three preseason games. Yeah, And one real quick number I had, too. I did go and take a look at the NFL numbers. I could only find them back as far as 2002. 95 of the 120 teams to make the playoffs since 2002 have won at least two preseason games. Wow. That's uh, 79%. So uh, let's keep Aaron Rodgers in for both of the next two games. (laughs) Yeah, no kidding. (laughs) 
Well, I guess they're going to have to go on the road against a playoff-caliber team to do that, and I don't know if you've noticed this, Matt, but the Cincinnati Bengals have been a real thorn in the Packers' side in recent years. In fact, the Green Bay Packers have not defeated the Cincinnati Bengals in any game, regular season or preseason, since 1998. Wow. Uh, they lost to them in the 2005 regular season in that awesome Brett Favre game where he threw four interceptions on four straight drives in a one-touchdown game. Uh, they lost to the 2006 preseason 48-17. to uh, They lost in the 08 preseason and Aaron Rodgers' first start of any kind. And then in the 2009 regular season, they lost uh, 31-24 when uh, Aaron Rodgers got sacked about, uh, I think it was 421 times. <laughs> yeah, you don't expect to hear a stat about the Bengals like that for a team for the Packers not to have beaten them recently, but... Yeah, that, that 2005 game with Favre was just awful. So, you know, well, he not was just that having fun out there. Didn't you have a lot of fun seeing him run like 30 yards downfield when the the chance to throw a hail mary and then underhand it to Bubba Franks and then? <laughs> yeah, I didn't have any fun watching the old gunslinger that game. So, <laughs> but you know, not that this is any consolation, but hopefully we can you know take out the Bengals this week. This third preseason game is obviously the one that means anything, yeah. as opposed to any of the other ones. So I I would like to see a lot more this week, hopefully, than we've seen. Okay, so that's the wrap-up from this past week's preseason game for the Packers and a short little preview of what we might have in store coming up this Thursday. Uh, Up next, we're going to have Packers What If, another Twitter request that we got for a What If, and we'll go into the details about that. But next week, we're actually going to have a week off from What If, and we're going to talk some fantasy football. So uh, Matt's going to have some details on those segments. Okay, so next week we'll talk a little bit more about it, but we'll just kind of lead into it here. Pretty much, you know, everybody our age, these age, probably at least 90% of the people we know who are our age are, that are football fans play fantasy football. So the majority of our listeners play fantasy football. So it's something we thought we should bring into the show to talk about here. Eric and I both, at least we played together last year, and Eric ended up taking me out in the postseason. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> over the past, uh, you know, eight seasons or so, I've played fantasy football. Never finished worse than fourth place. I take pride in that. I think I'm pretty good at it. So... Um, we'll be talking some fantasy football. Um, I'll come up with some sleepers that I feel that we might have. We have our, our draft with our league coming up this Saturday, so we're going to wait till next week so I don't give Eric all my good ideas and he you know, beats me again this year. So um, if you have any questions for us about that, you know, if there's maybe players you're comparing or want us to compare, talk about, and we understand you're probably not going to have questions about your upcoming lineup at all until the regular season gets underway, but you know, any questions you might have, any points you might have, any sleepers you might have, uh, we'll be glad to talk about. Okay, so look forward to that. And obviously, if you have any, um, like Matt said, if you have any fantasy things you want to talk about, go to our Facebook page, Green and Gold Forever Podcast. Uh, you can also uh, hit us up on Twitter, uh, which is at Green Gold Forever. That's the number four, Green Gold Forever. That's also the, the name of our YouTube channel, where you can get segments uh, of the show. And also, you can email us, Green and Gold Podcast at gmail.com. And we'll actually have some comments from uh, Twitter and Facebook uh, right after this. So stick with us, everybody. Well, the good old days may not return. And the rocks might melt. And the seed may burn.
And welcome back. We're about to get into our very popular What If segment. And uh, like we said last week, continue to send us those great ideas. Uh, we really couldn't do this segment without you. You guys keep thinking up of great topics for us to talk about. So uh, keep that up at any of those outlets that we mentioned prior. Uh, and speaking of our social media, we actually have some comments from some questions that we put out earlier today. Let's start with Facebook, Matt. We put out a question about people's reaction to the preseason so far and some of the things that concern them. So you want to read some of the comments we got there? Sure. So uh, you had posted earlier today on Facebook just saying, what do you think of the Packers preseason so far? What part of the team concerns you most? Uh, so what kind of what we got was what I had brought up earlier. Brian, one of our listeners, had said that they you know, looked atrocious and a lot, really out of sync. He also says the defense has, hasn't improved at all, uh, and the running game is a major concern, even though they are an 80% pass team. So, you know, I think we both would all agree with that first sense of the, how bad they've looked. It's it's kind of hard for me still to tell if the defense hasn't improved at all mm-hmm. just because, you know, it's preseason and some of our starters aren't playing and, and the ones that do play haven't played very long. But, you know, the run game, he's right, that run game has just been miserable. So hopefully, is Cedric Benson, is he expected to play this week, I'm assuming, then? Yeah, I had heard that he wasn't a lock yet, but I would assume that he would. Uh, if he doesn't play in the third preseason game, he probably won't get any meaningful action until the season starts. So I would be shocked if we didn't see him for at least a series or two. Right, because, I mean, obviously he wouldn't play last week. He was only on the team for about two days, but now he's able to practice in pads. So hopefully that's an upgrade. Hopefully we see him this week, and hopefully he plays well. Our other comment was from Caleb. Uh, he said he was also worried about how it appeared if anybody gets banged up on the offensive line. Aaron Rodgers is, isn't going to get enough pressure. Or um, isn't he's getting plenty of pressure? Uh, he's worried that Aaron Rodgers isn't getting get enough protection, and we saw that I think a little more in the Chargers game, but we saw it last week too. Mm-hmm. And, and towards Rodgers, uh, I think it was about the third series or so. There was a couple plays in a row where I just my heart skipped a beat. I think there was one play where the pressure was coming on, and he took off running. Yeah. And I, I said, you know, it's just yelling at the TV for him to get down. Like, what are you doing? Picking up five yards in a preseason game <laughs> running? It's not worth at all, the, you know, the potential of him getting hurt. And mm-hmm. I think the play after that or before T had, was under pressure and got hit. Mm-hmm. So Caleb's absolutely right. If, if, if anybody's on that offensive line is out, it doesn't really look like we have a ton of depth at this point. Yeah, I, I agree with a lot of that right there. And uh, I just think... I don't know. There's a lot of things to fix, so hopefully they can uh, show that they've been addressing them, or maybe it's not quite as bad as it's looked in these first two games. And that kind of goes on to uh, what Caleb actually said to us on Twitter. Um, I sent out a similar question uh, earlier today about how everyone feels about the Packers preseason, and and the Caleb Pike, who's our our super fan, always responding to all of our questions we put out there, and we we certainly appreciate that. Uh, He makes a great point. He says, this week is the test, I feel. After last week, I'm sure they were challenged to get better. We'll see if they can or not. Uh, And that's probably the perfect uh, way to frame this next preseason game. What if the past had turned out differently? The Green Bay Packers have won the Super Bowl. I was told that playing in Green Bay was not an option. With the 24th selection in the 2005 NFL Draft, the Green Bay Packers select Aaron Rodgers, quarterback, California. And Mikowski appears hurt. Oh, uh, Mikowski's in great pain, Ahmad. And reliable sources now tell CBS Sports that Parcells is very close to accepting a Green Bay Packers offer. Gentlemen, let me introduce to you the new head coach of the Green Bay Packers, Mr. Phil Bankston. What would the past look like? What would the future look like if... And now it's time for Packers What If, and this week we have another 
topic that has been sent in by Twitter, and it's from Kale's Place. Uh, they write, at Green and Gold Forever, what if the Packers had lost the 1966 NFL Championship versus the Dallas Cowboys? And uh, before we discuss that, let's go to the backstory. By 1966, the Green Bay Packers had regained their championship form. After winning back-to-back -back titles in 1961 and 1962, inconsistency, injuries, and scandal had kept Vince Lombardi's team from postseason play in 1963 and 64. The Packers were out to prove they were back in 1965. After literally inching past the Baltimore Colts for the division title, with a 13-10 Western Conference playoff win in the first overtime game in Packers history, Lombardi's men thoroughly beat the defending NFL champion Cleveland Browns in the title game, claiming their third championship of the 1960s. In 1966, the Packers showed they were still the best team in football. Behind NFL MVP quarterback Bart Starr, the Packers charged to a 12-2 record and clinched the Western Conference title with two games to play. Standing in the way of Green Bay's second pair of back-to-back -back titles in six years were the six-year-old Dallas Cowboys. The upstart team was led by Vince Lombardi's former colleague with the New York Giants, Hall of Fame coach Tom Landry. Dallas fielded the highest scoring offense in the NFL and may have presented Green Bay with its most formidable competition in any of its 1960s championship game appearances. To make matters even more difficult, the conference rotation that decided home field advantage in the NFL championship game was in favor of the Eastern Conference, meaning Lombardi and his men would have to take on Dallas at Texas State Fair Park in the Cotton Bowl. Not only was this game one of the best matchups on paper in the 34-year history of the NFL championship game, for the first time ever, the winner would move on to play the champion of the new American Football League in the World Championship of Professional Football, dubbed by the media as the Super Bowl. The stakes had never been higher for an NFL championship contest. The Packers and Cowboys played in one of the most exciting games in league history. After the Packers got off to a quick 14-0 lead, Dallas and their potent offense charged back, tying the game. Both teams would land their own shots, but Green Bay would hold a 21-20 lead in the third quarter. Then Bart Starr charged his team towards a championship. The Hall of Famer would turn in the finest playoff performance of his storied career, throwing two of his four touchdown passes to give the Packers a 34-20 fourth quarter lead. Dallas would not go quietly, however. Cowboys quarterback Dandy Don Meredith would respond with a 68-yard touchdown pass of his own to close to within a touchdown. Dallas would get the ball back with one more shot. They drove all the way down to the Green Bay two-yard line before Lombardi's Hall of Fame-laden defense would make a stand. The Packers would force Dallas into a fourth-and-goal situation. And on fourth down, Packers Hall of Famer Dave Robinson would charge through the Cowboy line and hurry Meredith into a hasty pass, which was intercepted in the back of the end zone by safety Tom Brown, winning the Packers their fourth NFL title in six years and clinching them a spot in the inaugural Super Bowl. The team of the 60s lived up to their name following the win in Dallas. They trounced a great Kansas City Chiefs team in Super Bowl 1, 35-10. In 1967, the aging Packers willed themselves to a third consecutive NFL championship game appearance. Here, they met Dallas again in maybe the most famous football game ever played, the Ice Bowl. Bart Starr cemented his legacy as one of, if not the, greatest clutch quarterback in league history by driving his team 68 yards down a frozen field and then plunging in for the game-winning touchdown with just 15 seconds remaining. The Packers were, and are, the only team to win three straight NFL championship contests. The Packers would wrap up their dynasty with a win over the AFL's Oakland Raiders in Super Bowl II, 33-14. Vince Lombardi would retire following the win, his Packers regarded by many as the greatest dynasty in football history. In honor of his accomplishments, the trophy representing the winners of each Super Bowl now bears his name.
But what if the Packers had lost on that chilly Texas night in the Cotton Bowl? Would Vince Lombardi have retired? Would the Packers have ever won a Super Bowl? How would the Packers franchise be regarded today? What happens to the legacies of the key contributors? And how is Vince Lombardi remembered? What if the Green Bay Packers had lost the 1966 NFL Championship game to the Dallas Cowboys? All right, so there's the backstory of this scenario, and we want to thank uh, Kale's Place again for submitting that. And keep sending your ideas to us. We could always use them. And this is probably uh, my, well, it's my favorite part of the show, and I know Matt really enjoys this uh, part of the show as well. So let's get into this topic. Um, the big thing about 1966, of course, that will be remembered is that the winner got to go on to play in Super Bowl One, which which has gotten the varying degrees of answers from the players as to how much it really meant to them. Some say it meant quite a bit. Others have said it didn't mean anything at all compared to the NFL championship. I have a feeling that it would have meant quite a bit to them had they lost that game. But uh, either way, uh, Super Bowl One certainly, in hindsight, has become a very big deal for the NFL. And they played the Dallas Cowboys in the Cotton Bowl on January 1st, 1967, for the NFL Championship. Very, very good game. Uh, maybe Bart Starr's greatest game of his entire career. In that game, Bart Starr, 28 attempts, 19 completions, 304 yards, four touchdowns, zero interceptions, each touchdown to a different receiver. Those are pretty modern numbers for a guy in 1966. Um, the Dallas Cowboys played pretty well. Uh, also, they actually had more first downs than the Packers had. Uh, they had more over 400 total yards, uh, but the two turnovers really killed them. Of course, the most famous being the Tom Brown interception in the back of the end zone of Don Meredith. If some of those things would have gone differently, of course, they lost 34-27. to 27. If that would have gone down differently, the Dallas Cowboys certainly could have tied the game, and it would have been the second overtime game in NFL history, and perhaps the Dallas Cowboys could have won. So let's assume they win. Uh, the big thing here would be that the Dallas Cowboys, of course, go on to Super Bowl One to play the Kansas City Chiefs. And Dallas has kind of a rocky reputation back then, um, but I still think they probably would have been able to beat Kansas City. It would have been a lot closer than the Packers-Chiefs game was, but I think Dallas would have been able to win. The big thing here is, far as the future of the Packers is, whether or not Vince Lombardi would have retired after the 1966 season. Uh, the team was very good that year. Bart Starr won the MVP award, um, had an absolutely phenomenal season, his best as a pro. But they were starting to get old by 1966. Of course, that was the last year they had Jim Taylor and Paul Horning. Horning hardly played at all in 1966. Taylor led the team in rushing, but uh, was kind of in the twilight of his career, would go on to play for the New Orleans Saints in 1967 before retiring. Um, they still kept a majority of their core players, but they were getting older. And in 1967, they had a kind of a rough season. They were only 9-4-1, which is not very impressive. And considering the fact that the NFL actually changed its format uh, in 1967 was the first year of divisional format, uh, where 66 was the last year of conference format. So had they not changed the league, the Packers wouldn't have been in the uh, in the NFL championship game in 1967. So there wouldn't have been an ice bowl if there uh, hadn't been uh, a realignment of the NFL in 1967. So they were certainly uh, on their last legs. Uh, they, of course, barely beat Dallas in the famous ice bowl. And so I think that if they would have lost the 1966 NFL championship game, I think there's a very good chance that Vince Lombardi retires. And without Vince Lombardi, I don't think they win uh, the Ice Bowl. I don't think they even play in it. Uh, as you saw, Phil Bankston really struggled in the three years that he coached the Packers. 
And so I really don't think the Packers would have done much of anything in 1967. They had pretty much the same personnel that they had in 68 and 69, and those years they were quite a few games out of having a shot uh, in the playoffs. So if Dallas is able to put together a couple more drives and maybe uh, uh, stop the Packers' passing offense a little bit, I think that the Dallas Cowboys move on and go to Super Bowl One. The Packers don't get a chance to play in either of the first two Super Bowls, and the big thing for that would be more historical for the Packers. I still think they probably, obviously there's not a lot of good things going on in the 1970s and 80s for the Packers, so I think the future would pretty much be unchanged after the fact, but instead of being the New York Yankees of pro football like the Green Bay Packers have become, they might just be another really good team, and and who knows, you could maybe make some more far-reaching arguments than I'm comfortable making about the future of the franchise, maybe if they don't have the Lombardi era and being the team of the 60s and only having uh, three championships instead of five, uh, winning the first two Super Bowls, maybe it's more difficult for them to build stadiums, and, and, and I don't know if they would have moved, but you could certainly maybe make a case that the future of the franchise is a little bit more cloudy than it was because of the Lombardi dynasty. But I'm not really quite that comfortable going that far. But I would say that the the perception of the Packers in pro sports is is quite a bit different uh, than it is now. Um, You look at teams like Cleveland and the Colts, who who had um, multiple championships in the 50s and the 60s, and even the Detroit Lions won three titles in the 1950s, and and nobody really remembers them as being anything uh, all too important unless you're... uh, an NFL historian or fans of that specific team. So I would say that if the Packers lose the 1966 championship game, Vince Lombardi retires a year earlier. They don't win either of the first two Super Bowls, and their legacy amongst football and sports fans uh, is is much, much less than it is today. Okay, I'll start first before I get into what I think by kind of responding to your last portion there about the legacy. So if if they don't win either of the first two Super Bowls, you're right, it probably has a lasting effect. I honestly think that their more recent history stays fairly similar, just because I don't necessarily think you know it was the uh, the Packers' great legacy, you know, which brought in Brett Favre or Reggie White necessarily, or probably even Mike Holmgren. Uh, I think that that stuff stays pretty much the same, and they were, it's not like their legacy carried them into the 70s and 80s, you know, with great teams. They were bad for 20 years. So, but that's the portion that worries me a little bit, is for a team to be pretty bad for over 20 years in a row, how does that affect, you know, the possibility of maybe relocating? Mm-hmm. You don't really see that probably with the Packers because of just how loyal the fans were. And I'm, I'm assuming, I don't have the numbers, but they still had pretty good attendance throughout the 70s and 80s and still great fans. Yeah, they've sold out every game since 1960. Yeah, so, I mean, it's the fans are still there, so likely they aren't going to move, even for a team to be bad for that long like they were. Uh, so I don't really think that changes with or without the first two Super Bowls. I think we look back on those teams way different now. Like you said, there's teams that have championships from before the Super Bowl time, and it really doesn't carry much weight these days. So the Packers win all these championships, but, you know, the people up until 96 are saying, well, you've never won a Super Bowl. Mm-hmm. So it does kind of change the, you know, the overall legacy. That being said, uh, what I think happens in this scenario here, if they lose this NFL championship game there to the Cowboys, you know, there's a lot that's different. You know, like we said, the legacy is different. You know, maybe the Lombardi Trophy is called the Landry Trophy now. I think if they lose that game, I still think that Lombardi comes back to to go to Super Bowl two. And here's why I think that is because if he's going to retire, you would think 
that winning, you know, I know a Super Bowl didn't mean quite as much back then, but even winning the NFL championship, you would think that would have been enough to push him into retirement. In my eyes, at least, more than a loss. I think to most people, losing a game like that makes you want to come back and makes you hungry, whereas winning, you might feel satisfied. So I'm thinking if he comes back after winning a Super Bowl and winning an NFL championship to go one more season, I think losing that game will bring him back as well, I guess, in my opinion. Okay. So to me, in this scenario, if they lose the NFL championship game, don't go to the Super Bowl. But I think the next year stays mainly unchanged. And possibly even maybe they have a little more you know, motivation to work a little harder, play a little harder. They still win the Super Bowl, but maybe you know their record's even maybe a couple games better. So, okay. And what I see yet, we don't win the first Super Bowl in this scenario, but I think overall uh, legacy's pretty much the same. I think Lombardi retires after Super Bowl two like he does. I just think, in my opinion, if he wasn't ready, to, if he was ready to go after Super Bowl one and after that NFL championship game, he would have went, and that would have been the perfect uh, timing and perfect excuse for him to hang him up. Well, you, you certainly make a good argument there. Um, as far as the 1967 team, I guess we could disagree on that. Uh, it, it's tough to say. They did lose some games late, so they had already clinched the division when they lost a couple of those games to drop to 9-4-1. and one. So you could make an argument that maybe um, they try harder. They might have been on coast mode at that point. They started 9-2-1, and one, and then they lost two close games to the end of the, at the end of the season. So maybe that record is not quite as bad. I know Bart Starr had a really rough year that uh, year. Nine touchdowns, 17 interceptions. He had nine interceptions in the first two games, which won 0-1 in those games, so <laughs> pretty well-rounded team, you could say. Um, the, I guess the thing I will disagree with is I think that if they only win Super Bowl two, that greatly affects uh, Vince Lombardi's legacy, uh, quite honestly, because he almost has a legacy of invincibility right now. He lost that first game and then was undefeated in the playoffs. I mean, uh, well into the 2000s, you'd hear his name all the time when they were talking about the things that Tom Brady and Bill Belichick were doing uh, up until they eclipsed their records of consecutive playoff wins. I think if he only wins the second Super Bowl, I, I think that greatly changes it. And instead of being this coach that's on a pedestal that all other coaches should be judged against I just think he's just another good football coach where he'd still be very famous around here but he wouldn't be the be-all end-all coach in the history of pro football because you have so many other guys that would be just like him he would have lost two title games he would have won a Super Bowl um, I mean think of guys like Weeb Eubank who won as the head coach of the New York Jets in 1969 and then he had won two back-to-back championships with the Baltimore Colts in 58 in the first overtime game and then repeated in 1959 almost no one outside of Baltimore or New York knows who he is and granted Lombardi was more high profile than that but I, I just think there's other guys like Hank Stram who won titles before the Super Bowl and then lost one Super Bowl won another um, even guys like Don Shula don't really get talked about quite as much as Vince Lombardi does. So I think that in order to have the reputation he has now, he almost has to have that undefeatable record after that first hiccup in their very first try with a young Bart Starr and a young Jim Taylor and a, whole, and a young Ray Nitschke and a young defense. I think that if he loses any one of those games, he goes from being the be-all, end-all coach in pro football history to being in that class with Don Shula and guys like that who are just really, really, really good, like Tom Landry, but not unbeatable. He's not the guy who's, if I have one game to be coached, Vince Lombardi's my guy. Yeah. Okay, and I, I guess I don't really disagree with you there on that. 
I, I agree. He's basically a football deity at this point. And not just football, but he, he's a the coach in basically every sport. Mm-hmm. Every team has a, a Lombardi quote in their, um, in their locker rooms. So There's not any Phil Jackson play on Broadway, to my uh, knowledge. Like <laughs> no, not, not yet anyways. <laughs> so, yeah, I agree with you there. It, it, he loses that invincibility if they lose Super Bowl One. You know, his name's probably not on the trophy nowadays, which I think is, you know, a lot of the younger people who start watching the sport is kind of when they start, you know, associating him with football and they see that and kind of get more interested. And mm-hmm. so I, I agree with you there. I think overall the Packers' legacy is still great if they lose the first one and win the second one. But you know, Vince Lombardi's uh, legacy might have changed a little bit. I agree with you there. All right, so that's another edition of What If. And once again, if you have a topic that you'd like to hear us uh, discuss, uh, send them our way at any of those channels, either Facebook, Twitter, YouTube comment. Uh, send us an email, what have you. And uh, we'll try to fit that into the schedule. Uh, next week we're going to take a break from What If so we can talk about some fantasy football, but we'll get back to it the following week and uh, hopefully every other week throughout the season. So we want to thank you for joining us today, and uh, hopefully you can listen to us next week. and. I hope we can report to you some better news about the 2012 version of the Green Bay Packers, and hopefully they will have shown us something that we can get excited about uh, going forward towards September 9th when they take on the San Francisco 49ers in week one of the 2012 NFL season. So for Matt out in lacrosse, I'm Eric in Oshkosh, and uh, we'll see you guys soon. Take care.